Today's message, uh, I want to thank uh, the gals for sharing from Love, Inc., and uh, that's been a real blessing to this community, that ministry over the years, and uh, of course, uh, your involvement in, in that uh, is encouraging uh, outside of our faith promise giving, which, uh, you know, most of us here are probably participating in, so is that loud? Let's see. Is that good, Rick? Okay, our series is The Road. Uh, when it comes to roads, we have a lot of choices, don't we? Uh, our country is filled with roads. And to the rescue. Thank you. One of my daughters recently moved to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, so I have become very familiar with the road to Johnstown, a road I'd never been on before. Uh, Johnstown is located in a stretch of valley that belongs to the deepest river gorge in North America east of the Rocky Mountains. That means it's in a big hole surrounded by mountains. Uh, the, the Connemaw River winds its way through town from one end of the town to the other. Before the railroad system developed in the late 1800s, water canals were used for, as the primary means of transportation. But when the railroad came to Johnstown, the old canal system, along with Lake Connemaw and the South Fork Dam, became obsolete. They were no longer needed to uh, support water for the canal system. The lake and the dam were eventually sold to wealthy parties who began modifying the lake and dam and then uh, uh, changed it into a resort, uh, a hunting and fishing club for the wealthy. The lake and dam were located high above Johnstown, some 14 miles upriver. After years of neglect and failed attempts to patch the leaking dam with mud and straw, the worst case scenario happened. In May of 1889, six to ten inches of rain fell in one hour. To make a long story short, the dam broke loose, unleashing 3.8 billion gallons of water. The first town hit by the flood was South Park. You have to bear with me as I tell this story because <laughs> it's extremely uh, difficult having visited this town and... Uh, there's actually a flood museum there, and there's still uh, buildings that are there that were there back in the flood. But uh, So bear with me as I tell this. But the first town hit by the flood was South Park, where 20 to 30 homes were destroyed and four people were killed. As the flood traveled the 14 miles to Johnstown, it picked up trees, homes, and animals. The small town of Mineral Point was hit next, destroying everything in its path and taking another 16 lives. The village east of Connemaw was next. One witness on high ground near the town described the water as almost obscured by debris, resembling a huge hill rolling over and over. Engineer John Hess warned the town with his locomotive's whistle 
but at least 50 more people were killed. Before hitting the main part of Johnstown, the flood hit the, the surge, the flood surge hit the town of Woodvale, where 314 died, as floodwaters swept up railroad cars and miles of barbed wire from Gaudier Wireworks. Almost an hour after the dam collapsed, the waters hit Johnstown and formed a temporary dam at, at Stone Bridge, a bridge that still stands there to this day. At the bridge, 30 acres of debris piled up nearly 70 feet high and caught fire. The fire would burn for three days, and at least 80 more people were killed. As the water channeled off in another direction, it continued its destruction, taking everything and everyone in its path. When the flood was over, the death toll was 2,208. Ninety-nine entire families died, including 396 children. 124 women and 198 men were widowed. 98 children were orphaned. After the flood, many residents moved away, but most stayed for the recovery and to rebuild the town. The hunting and fishing club that modified the dam and failed to maintain it properly was never held legally responsible for the disaster, so the survivors received no compensation. There was no redemption. Most of us have never experienced a loss like that, but we have all suffered. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they unleashed the flood waters of sin on all of us. Sin has been destroying everything in its path ever since. Worst of all, our sin separates us from the safety and security of God's presence. Without a Redeemer, there is no recovery. Without someone to step in and pay the price for our sin, we can never enjoy a relationship with God again. Fortunately, God sent Jesus to rescue us from sin. Jesus is our Redeemer. The concept of a Redeemer was built into God's law from the very beginning. The closest male relative was the kinsman Redeemer, responsible for aiding family members in need. If a relative was forced into slavery or forced to sell their property in order to pay a debt, the kinsman Redeemer could buy back their freedom and buy back their property. If a relative was murdered, the kinsman redeemer became the avenger who took the life of the murderer. In some cases, the kinsman redeemer even married the widow of a dead brother to preserve the family line. The kinsman redeemer was a rescuer, rescuer who brought salvation to those in need. Of course, Jesus is our ultimate redeemer. He gave his life to pay off our debt of sin. His blood purchased our salvation. As we read in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, 
You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus is also our ultimate uh, avenger who assures justice is served. In 2 Corinthians 2.10 we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We don't have to worry about going out and getting revenge for all the wrongs that have been done to us or fear uh, someone else's revenge on us for the wrongs we've done to them. Jesus will make sure appropriate justice is served. In today's text, we see some of the injustices that Jesus faced, and we see and are reminded that he overcame. The religious leaders were the source of many injustices. Uh, after talking Judas into betraying Jesus, the relig religious leaders had Jesus arrested, and then they interrogated him before bringing him to Pilate. Beginning in Luke chapter 23, verse 1, we read, Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. The whole body refers to the Sanhedrin, uh, the, the, the religious council, the, the rulers, the religious, all those who were uh, important people in the religious community who ruled the day. Uh, the Sanhedrin had the religious authority, uh, but they didn't have the civil authority to prosecute and to inflict the death penalty on Jesus. So they had to bring him to Pilate, Pilate the Roman governor, who did have that authority. Continuing in verse 2 we read, And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man misleading our nation and forgetting, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. So Pilate asked him, asked Jesus, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. The Jewish leaders accused Jesus of misleading the people. If Jesus wasn't the Son of God, he was certainly guilty of, uh, of misleading people. But if he was the Son of God, as he claimed to be, then Jesus was only trying to rescue and save the people. Most likely, Pilate wasn't concerned about these claims that Jesus was disrupting the Jewish community. Pilate was a Roman, and his interests were only in the welfare and well-being of Rome. He didn't care so much about the Jewish nation until it interfered with Rome. But the religious leaders also accused Jesus of teaching others not to pay taxes to Caesar. And that certainly would have been a serious charge had it been true. But like so many times today, that was simply... Fake news. It wasn't true. 
Jesus actually taught just the opposite. In Matthew 12, uh, verse 17, Jesus told the Herodians and the Pharisees to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In other words, if you, if you owe taxes to Caesar, then pay Caesar the tax money. If you owe God, then honor and serve him. The religious leaders also twisted Jesus' claim to be Christ the king. Yes, Jesus was king of the Jews as he admitted he was king of all kings. But he wasn't the insurrectionary they made him out to be. The religious leaders wanted Pilate to believe that Jesus was plotting a coup to take over the government and rule Rome. We don't know the, the full length, the full extent of Pilate's interrogation with Jesus, uh, but we do know his conclusion. His conclusion was not guilty. Jesus wasn't on uh, a mission to overthrow the government. He was on a mission of salvation to save the people. Our U.S. justice system is far from perfect. Many individuals have been sentenced to prison and later found innocent. I came across these headlines recently. Uh, first one said, man in prison for 17 years, now freed after a look-alike mix-up. Another one read, after 13 years in prison, man found innocent of crime. And then a last one. 26-year secret kept innocent man in prison. It's unnerving to think about, but studies show that roughly 1% of people behind bars are innocent. If that's accurate, there are over 20,000 innocent people in prison today. For Jesus, the road to our redemption was filled with injustice. For much of his life, Jesus was slandered for things he never said and he never did. Jesus ended up overcoming his accusers, and so can we if we put our faith in him. In Romans 12, 19, we're reminded not to take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In Luke 18, Jesus encourages prayer and faith as a prescription for injustice. He tells a parable, and in the parable, uh, there's a wicked ruler, an evil man. And a widow comes to the wicked ruler uh, with a need. And of course, he really doesn't care about her need, but she's persistent. And then Jesus compares that ruler's response of helping her because of her persistence to God's response to our persistence. He says, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, and there's a dramatic pause when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, Jesus is saying that 
God has an abundance of grace and mercy that he wants to lavish upon his people, but they must bring their case to him. In other words, we must have the faith to pray, to call out to God, to take our situation to him, and then to trust him to help us. Jesus experienced several more injustices from the hand of Herod and his soldiers. The charges against Jesus should have been, should have been dropped. But the chief priests and the crowds kept insisting Jesus was guilty. Wanting to silence the complaining crowds, uh, Pilate thought of an ulterior plan and decided to send Jesus to Herod, another governor, Roman ruler, who was visiting Jerusalem. Herod heard of Jesus and said, sure, send him. I'm, I'm excited to meet him. Of course, Herod had ulterior motives. He was hoping he'd heard about Jesus, and he was hoping that uh, Jesus would be uh, free entertainment. Maybe Jesus would do some miracles for him, and, and he could be entertained by those. According to Luke 23.9, Herod questioned Jesus at some length. But Jesus answered him nothing. Jesus refused to speak to Herod. There are times, obviously, when we're just wasting our breath when we speak to certain people. We might as well not even open our mouth. This was one of those situations for Jesus. And we must keep in mind, this is the same Herod who arrested John the Baptist, threw him in prison, and then executed him. This is the same Herod that Jesus called on another occasion a fox because he was so cunning and deceitful. Verse 12 concludes with another disturbing insult to Christ. Verse 12 we read, Herod, Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. For before, they had been enemies with each other. While the Son of God was being treated like a stooge and a laughingstock, Rome's wicked rulers were uniting with each other and becoming good friends. Kind of makes you a little sick. <laughs> Where's the justice? Okay, I'm going to pause here. I have an assignment uh, for you. Should you choose to accept it, which uh, I strongly encourage you to, you may face adversity. You may not. People might make fun of you. They might gain your respect. I don't know. Uh, if all goes well, people might be even drawn to Dover and drawn to Christ, which is ultimately what we would love to see happen. But here's your assignment. When you leave here today, 
yard signs like this are going to be out in the foyer. And we'd like every family to pick up one of these yard signs. And when you get home, put it in your yard. Simply says, celebrate Easter at Dover Christian Church, 10:15 a.m. Now, it might be tempting to already start making excuses for this. Well, my neighbors already know I'm a Christian. Well, print's too small on that, they'll never read it. Well, uh, all my friends already go to church. Well, you know, you know how it goes. We've heard this before, right? I'm going to challenge you not to do that, but encourage you to pick one of these up, and who knows? Uh, we're going to pray here in a minute over these signs that God would bless them and use them to draw people to Christ, and that's what we want. And who knows? What, what person might see that sign and think, you know, I need to be in church on Easter. I need to, need to be celebrating the resurrection of my Lord and Savior, or I need to be at least learning about God and finding out what God's plan is for my life. So we're going to have those, people passing those out when you lead today. I encourage you to uh, pick one of those up. I also want to challenge you to consider uh, in front of you, in, in the seats in front of you, there's like a little card, some cards, and th on those cards, they're designed to be invitation cards. They're also designed to remind you that we have uh, a kid's Easter party coming up, we have the Good Friday service coming up, and we have, of course, our Easter service. And I want to challenge you to use those cards to invite someone maybe who doesn't have a church home or could benefit from uh, coming to Dover and learning about Christ. So let's go ahead and pray about that. So join me, please. Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to thank you for this church and all the faithful people in it. And uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for Love, Inc. and their ministry to the community and how they've uh, helped the churches so much and what they've done. And, and Lord, there are still so many people in our community who uh, they don't have a church home. They... Uh, they don't have a relationship with you. Uh, they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and Lord, if you could bless these signs and bless these invitations and just uh, use them to speak to people, we would ask that and we would pray that. And uh, we just uh, trust you to accomplish your will and all to your glory as we do these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus also experienced several more injustices that were initiated by Pilate after Herod uh, interrogated Jesus. You know, remember, Pilate has interrogated him, Pilate has sent him to Herod, and now Herod is sending him back to Pilate. Uh, in verse 13, we take up, we read, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people a second time, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. <laughs> I almost had to laugh a little there at the end there. I will punish him and release him. We see what, Pilate, what kind of leader Pilate really is. Uh, you know, I know he's not guilty, guilty, Pilate says, but to make you happy, I'll do what you want and punish him. 
uh, that's not the kind of leadership anybody needs, you know, just to make you happy. I know what's right, but just to make you happy, I'll do what you want. That, that was Pilate when it came to Jesus. I'll punish him, I'll let, and then I'll let him go. Once again, this one-sided trial should have ended with a not guilty verdict. Jesus was not inciting the people to rebellion. The only ones who were inciting the people were the religious leaders who were trying to convince them that Jesus deserved to be crucified. Their determination, their passion, their relentlessness was convincing, and many in the crowd got on board. We see this today all the time. If someone is loud enough, if they're passionate enough, uh, and they deliver their message long enough, people will start believing that it's true. Continuing in verse 18, But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. He was the one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. So he was actually not only charged with one charge that they were trying to make against Jesus, but on top of that, murder. Uh, Verse 20, Pilate wanting to release Jesus. Uh, One thing that also happened that's not in our text was that Pilate's wife had a dream. And in that dream, she was warned uh, that Pilate needed to release Jesus and not you know, not do him harm. But, you know, like most men, Pilate didn't listen to his wife. So Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found him in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore I will punish him, again, and release him. But they were insistent, with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. On that day in history, there was no justice. The, The guilty went free And the sinless Son of God went to the cross where he suffered and died in our behalf. The hunting and fishing lodge that modified the dam and failed to maintain it properly was never held legally responsible for the Johnstown flood. The courts actually ruled that the flood was an act of God. That was their final conclusion, an act of God. How sad is that, but not too surprising when you consider mankind. You know, if you can't find someone else to blame, blame God. And that's what they did. 
When Jesus took our guilt and sin to the cross, the dam of God's grace broke loose, unleashing a flood of mercy. God's waves of forgiveness are still sweeping over our sins, annihilating them one by one. Unlike the carnage left behind by the Johnstown flood, Christ's blood purifies us and leaves us white as snow. As we're reminded in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus didn't come to destroy, he came to heal. Jesus didn't come to take life, he came to give life. Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher, grew up in a family of faith, but later lost that faith, believing Historical research had discredited the teachings of Christianity. His final conclusion was that men had created God. Now get this part. Ironically, he believed that people preferred illusion to the truth. You could certainly make a case that he preferred illusion to the truth. But he did have some insights about people. Uh, According to Nietzsche, the truth hurts. And as a species that avoids pain and seeks pleasure, the preference is a lie. He says even when people hear the truth, their defenses kick in to protect the ego against it. Our sin isn't a pleasant topic. Sometimes it hurts to admit it. But we must repent and turn our sin over to Jesus if we want to experience God's grace and forgiveness. We must believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we must surrender our lives to him. We're going to, uh, I'll ask the music guys to come up now. We're going to sing our uh, hymn of invitation as we do each week. And we do invite you to respond. Uh, Everyone should have a response of one kind or another. If you have never confessed your faith publicly and been baptized into Christ, I encourage you to come forward and we'll assist you with that today. Maybe you're here today and you've been attending for a long time and uh, you know you love it here and you want to stay here and you want to be committed to to the work that we're trying to accomplish here but you've never become a member, we, uh, we invite you to come forward and, and, and make that a known. Uh, we're not going to embarrass you by any means, but we would encourage you to do that. Uh, maybe there's just something going on in your life that you know shouldn't be going on, and you just need to acknowledge that and take that to Christ and find that forgiveness that he's ready to give you and just turn away from it. I don't know. Whatever decision you might have today, won't you do it as we stand, as we sing our invitation?